Hi there. My name is Sharon Ramsey. I'm a graduate of the seminary, OTS 1994, and I've taught within the MDiv Counseling Program at Tyndale since 1998. When I was a student, seminary was church for me. That's not to say I didn't go to church on Sundays. I was an active member of our congregation as a worship leader, occasional preacher, and leader of the service. But seminary was different. It was the place where spiritual growth, intellectual rigor, and sifting truth from tradition took root. Seminary became the place where I wrestled with God, and if I'm honest, sometimes my classmates, <laughs> over what it means to be a Christ follower now. In these days of physical distancing, or as our last chapel speaker stated, sheltering in place, some aspects of life have slowed down hopefully giving each of us an opportunity to take in the bigger picture. What is the story of COVID-19? And what's the story of protest and revolt that's been rumbling through Canada, the U.S., and around the globe? From these two questions, I want to add a third to this bigger picture. What might it mean for a Christ follower to be a source of help and healing at this time? I'll be referring to Psalm 1, verses 1 and 3, with a little detour to John chapter 8 for an example. In Psalm 1, we read of the one who is blessed, the one whose delight is in the Lord. This blessed one is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The Blessed One knows who orders his days. The Blessed One has chosen to send her roots deep into the streams of living water for sustenance. These Blessed Ones demonstrate the blessing of God by, by yielding fruit in its proper time and continually showing signs of life. In selfie talk, Blessed Ones know their angles and how to work them to full advantage. In real talk, Blessed ones are drawing on the source of life and learning how to go about living in God's world. When I think of Christ followers as trees, the image that comes to mind is that of a willow tree. And here are three interesting facts about willow trees. One, the roots of the willow are aggressive in their search for water. Nothing gets in their way. Two, the willow tree has a compound in it that is used in medication, salicylic acid. This compound is used in aspirin for pain relief and in acne medications to clear the skin. And number three, despite their size and strength, willows are very pliable. Willow wood can be bent into a variety of shapes and used as furniture, musical instruments, sports equipment, toys, even baskets. With seminary as church, I learned that my reading of scripture must be influenced by what is written and the context in which it was written. What is the psalmist telling us about rootedness and the perpetual drawing on the law of the Lord? Well, when I turn to one of my Old Testament textbooks, the author Derek Kidner says that the tree is no mere channel piping the water unchanged from one place to another, but a living organi organism which absorbs the water, 
to produce in due course something new and delightful, proper to its kind and to its time. The promised immunity of the leaf from wither is not independence from the rhythm of the season, but freedom from the crippling damage of drought. So what is the value of our rootedness in God for this day? Let's jump ahead to the opening verses of John chapter 8. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is out without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Talk about having leaves in season. This was a mic drop moment. I'm sure you've heard sermons guessing about what Jesus might have been writing in the, in the ground or about the half-truth that the teachers of the law brought forward with this woman. If they were truly concerned about the law, they should have also brought forward the man with whom the woman was caught in adultery, according to Leviticus 20.10. Jesus, the Blessed One, has his roots deeply in the streams of living water. Due to this rootedness, and because he does not rush to judgment, he could pause. He could hold the tension of those moments and speak what was necessary for that moment. I would even go so far to say that his silence was the first thing he spoke. That silence led to the good word. That good word led to an opportunity for healing for that woman. My devotional reading in this season is from the book written by Donna Barber. She asks some particularly poignant questions about our internal world and our external actions. She contends that Jesus' statement to the religious leaders turned their anger and evil intentions to shame, and one by one, they dropped their rocks and left. Jesus' answer teaches us again that only a sinless person can rightfully condemn another. He simply points out that we are all likewise guilty. The reminder of this truth sets the, the accused woman free. So I have some questions about the bigger context. What was the level of drought experienced by the religious leaders? 
What happens for someone formed by the law of God when they pick and choose what suits their motives and forget to let the law transform them first? Or in our day, what happens when the way we want to move in the world is upended by a global pandemic? What happens when we see images of brutality and injustice repeatedly? How do we take full advantage of the moments of privacy that come our way? Let me suggest some deep root activities. Silence. I'm suggesting silence as an activity, as a moment to see, hear, and receive what is going on. According to Psalm 1, our rootedness comes from being immersed in the streams of living waters. Let us first hear, see, receive from the Lord through his word, the movement of his spirit, the revelation of his grace in our lives before we start rushing off madly in all directions. One of my professors once said that while we do not know what God will do next, we do know what he has done in the past. What would it be like for us to take a moment and reflect on the source of our living water first and wait to ensure that it is the burbling of his stream rather than the rush of a tap that we have turned on? The second root activity is confession. I'm old enough to remember that the, the ACTS acronym, where I learned that prayer is first shaped by the adoration of the Lord and then followed by confession. I'm relying on that acronym here by positioning confession as a deep root activity. I'm aware that I want to know, I want to declare, I want to say what God will or will not do. However, I'm not so good at bringing my misunderstandings, misjudgments, misgivings to the Lord. However, when I've been still enough to connect my roots and feel that living water rushing over and through them, I am able to see the truth of his ways not being my ways. I can acknowledge the dryness of my soul, and by his grace I can say that I am the one who pulled up my roots and cozied up to another stream. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing gift. Not judgment, not condemnation, but forgiveness so we can go and leave the sin behind. Reflection. It seems to me that my time at seminary was one long reflection. What are you teaching me through this course, Lord, through this struggle? this accomplishment. How will you use this, Lord, in my life? How can what I'm learning shape my interactions with this person or that person? How will this learning serve to remind me of who you are? I, ref I find that reflection is that first check in the mirror in the morning, and sometimes it's quite a sight <laughs> when the lights turn on. Who am I? when no one else can see me? How does God see me? What can I hide from others that I cannot hide from God? What can I bring to God knowing that my reflection is through the perfect mirror of Jesus? 
This quick walk between Psalm 1 and John 8 hopefully has encouraged you to take into consideration the private and the public. The blessed ones are like trees planted by streams of water. They are seen to be connected to the source and as a result their fruit is in season. Their roots are constantly seeking that water. One of the beautiful reflections from Donna Barber on Psalm 1 is this. Healthy trees also produce leaves. The leaves of the righteous are not grown to adorn the sanctuary or decorate the tree, but instead to bring healing to the nations. How do we act in ways that allow our leaves to bring healing? If we learn to appreciate the rootedness in the streams of water, we need those private moments where the, steam, the streams of water rush over our roots. We need to remember the source of our being first. Hence my suggestion that silence, confession, and reflection are key activities to engage in with the Lord. Whether we are meeting virtually, online, or, as in the before time, meeting in small groups, in our congregation, in class, these are times to draw deeply on those streams so that we will actually have leaves that can be used even in times of drought. COVID-19 is a kind of drought. Our usual connections have been curtailed. We may be disoriented. We may feel ripped off because what we are accustomed to doing is not currently possible or available to us. This leads me to my final suggestion for a root activity. Action. Acting as a blessed one is not about drawing attention to ourselves or to flaunt our full-blown foliage. As blessed ones, thriving on living water, we have another purpose as ordained by God. Again, according to Donna Barber, we are sent to where there is sickness. We are planted in the places of pain to draw out the poisons of corruption, reset the limbs of broken systems, and strengthen the impoverished and, and oppressed. The call to rootedness and delight in the law of the Lord is preparation time. It is looking into the bathroom mirror all bleary-eyed and starting to make sense of how we prepare for the day. Whether we are students, professors, or staff, I trust that the Lord is preparing us to be planted in the places that need healing. I trust that He is breaking up fallow ground through us and clearing the space for others to send their roots deep into His living water. I pray that our leaves would also be used to draw out the poisons of hatred, ignorance, and pride within us and around us. Our silence confession and reflection are fueled by the rush of the streams of living water. Those private moments are opportunities to learn how vital it is to be someone who delights in the law of the Lord. Let us be people who spend time considering the events of the day, personally and collectively, such that when it comes time to act, we may do so with wisdom. May we, like Jesus, bend to take a moment and size up the situation. May we wait for the good word or action that leads to change. 
May our actions be leaves that are used by the Lord for healing such that new growth occurs. Amen.